Hello, everyone, and welcome to another thrilling episode of Chronically Coaling Narnia. Let me redo that. I said coaling. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a fun holiday-themed festive episode of chronically colon narnia uh <laughs> you're welcome just really excited about thanksgiving okay yep this is because once thanksgiving's over it's christmas it is uh, this is chapter 11 diggory and his uncle are both in trouble and this is my co-host Kristen, aka a sagacious elephant and i am your other co-host chris aka um, maybe a tree? <laughs> so, Uncle uh, Andrew? Yeah, I'm not really sure what I am uh, tonight, but uh, welcome. Welcome back for another double-digit episode. We are almost through this book. Uh, Woo-hoo! Uh, how, you, how you doing, Kristen? I'm feeling like we're going to have to come back and do this book again at the in the correct order once we get to it. Possibly. But maybe like a one-episode mm-hmm. <laughs> revisit to the prequel perhaps we could we could totally do that as a wrap-up type thing you know because we'll be doing this series for the next you know several years anyway um (laughs) it's gonna be a long haul folks get comfy uh so anyway or unsubscribe now uh please please (laughs) please don't do that we need your validation (laughs) or at least i do (laughs) so anyway how we like to start out here is we will go through the chapter and we'll find a collection of five sentences that we think summarize the story that the chapter tells, and we read those just to get a baseline for how we both felt about, you know, what the plot was. Uh, So, Kristen, would you like to go ahead and do your sentences for us? Absolutely. I'll begin with my five-sentence summary, which I apparently accidentally got six sentences, so give me a moment to correct this problem. So, now I'm just going to drop this one out. It's okay. All right. Ahem. 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 There was some dispute as to which way up Uncle Andrew ought to be put into the hole, and he he had a very narrow escape from being put in head foremost. A dozen different things that he might say flashed through Diggory's mind. But he had the sense to say nothing except the exact truth. You see, friends, Aslan said, that before the new clean world I gave you is seven hours old, a force of evil has already entered it, waked and brought hither by this son of Adam. Polly knew at once that it was the cabbie's wife, fetched out of our world, not by any tiresome magic rings, but quickly, simply, and sweetly as a bird flies to its nest. My children, said Aslan, fixing his eyes on both of them, the cabbie and his wife, you are to be the first king and queen of Narnia. Fun. Uh, you picked that last sentence, which I also picked, which I thought we would pick that one in common. Yeah. Uh, cause that's pretty much the major plot point here. 
Uh, this is why they pay you the big bucks as an English major, though, because you're really good at picking out sentences which are in the uh, in uh, in and of themselves a scene and are very descriptive of what's going on. Interesting, because I didn't feel like mine built a scene so much as they showed vignettes. Yeah, like each sentence vignettes. was its own scene. Yeah, that's that's what I mean. Like they're all they're all very visualizable. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, so that's totally a word. Visualizable. Sure. Uh-huh. Um, uh, I went in a kind of a different direction shocking and that i always do um and as i always do i uh i i well you'll see so here are my sentences well we must do something about it said the elephant this is the boy who did it i brought her aslan he answered in a low voice my children said aslan fixing his eyes on both of them. You are to be the first king and queen of Narnia. Well, sir, said the cabbie very slowly, a chap don't exactly know till he's been tried. All right. All right. Mm. Okay, so, no, that definitely feels like the sentence summary that you would create. Like, I do feel... That there are a lot of times where you don't try to clarify any of the, like, pronouns or things. Mm -hmm. So when he says the my children to the cabbie and his wife, which I shouted out in there. Yeah. Like, if you don't kind of add some kind of context where, like, I had put in the sentence of the cabbie's wife being pulled there Mm -hmm. in order to make it make sense as to why he would say my children to them. Um, That... I don't know. I felt like I had to do extra work on mine to make sure that that sentence made sense as not talking to Polly and Diggory. Uh-huh. Because they're, they're children. Yeah. And he says, my children. Yeah. And we'll get to my rewrite uh, at the end of the podcast, but I, I tried so hard <laughs> to rewrite the chapter as being about Diggory and Polly being named the king and queen of, of Narnia, but... I could not find the five sentences I needed to make that happen. Uh, But we'll get there. Um, Are you okay? Yes, I'm very okay. (laughs) Um, It's been a long week. (laughs) Anyway, yeah, in my my summary, as I usually do, I was trying to go along the lines of of emotions and how people were responding to uh, things happening here. Because, you know, I'm a relational person. Yeah, no. (laughs) Typical emotion-faced host. Yeah, no, I'm a typical emotional man. <laughs> anyway, so let's let's talk about the chapter. Uh, yeah, so discussing the chapter, um, I feel like we we talked last week in chapter ten about how at the end of the chapter there's this two page scene that doesn't go anywhere. So we had this weird two page scene that didn't really go anywhere with the animals cornering Uncle Andrew. And then at the beginning of this chapter, we had the continuation of that scene where the animals are all having this conversation. Uh, also, your... he he directly uh, answers one of the challenges we offered, which was like, these animals all just saw three other humans and they're totes fine with them. But then they get to Uncle Andrew and they're like, are you a animal, vegetable or mineral? Uh-huh. Um, and we very specifically called them out, like, hello, they just saw three humans yeah. and interacted with them, so, like, they would know, yeah. but they, um, this is headed off by 
talking about the way that Uncle Andrew looks, that these animals had just assumed that everyone's clothing was a part of them as opposed to removable items. So they thought each one of them was of a different species, but they heard all three of the others speak. They hadn't heard Uncle Andrew talk, and he didn't seem to be able to talk when he did try to talk to them. They couldn't understand him any better than he could understand them, which I think is an interesting idea because Uncle Andrew is specifically described as not being able to understand the animals speaking because he had mentally told himself that they're just beasts and they can't do anything but growl. And then we have the animals come and approach Uncle Andrew and he doesn't seem to be able to talk to them. They can't seem to understand him either. And it seems like there's some kind of unexpressed uh, prejudice there from the animals towards Uncle Andrew. But that said, he looks a mess. They think that he's a tree because he can't talk and he faints, which is absolutely hilarious in a children's book slapstick kind of way. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's all stuff that happens. And I think it, it's, it's interesting. And I, I also think that it's very interesting that he decided to take what could have been an entire chapter story of what happened with Uncle Andrew mm-hmm. and split it into these little two-page scenes in each chapter as, like, the bridge between these chapters. Um, I think that it's odd because, like, this chapter is called Diggory and his uncle are both in trouble. And it's, like, the end of the last scene which could have been its own chapter about what happened to Uncle Andrew. And then it's just also going into Diggory having to explain to everyone what happened, which we'll get to later. We're just talking about Uncle Andrew right now. But what are your thoughts on, on all of this? Uh, my thoughts are, I, I like what you said toward the beginning there about uh, C.S. Lewis immediately kind of answering our criticisms the mm-hmm. last chapter. Uh, and I was going to jump in and say it's because he's a better writer than we are. Um, <laughs> well, but... I think that if you were going to be a better writer, you wouldn't then have to go back and answer those questions. Like, So I disagree with you. I feel like Lewis, addressing them in the moment. You, you heard it here, folks. Uh, C.S. Lewis, hack fraud writer. Uh, <laughs> this... cr- chronically podcast 2019. Not what I said. No. I said <laughs> that your argument is not necessarily the best example of good writing. Like, I disagree with you. That's all. Uh, anyway, the, this, this, this part, I mean, I appreciate it for what it is. I appreciate it more in the context of the last chapter, and I feel like it almost should be a chapter in and of itself, this whole scene with the animals and Uncle Andrew, because splitting it into two parts, they feel disjointed, and both of them feel like half of a story. And so it feels like in the last one we have this two pages of, of plot and text that doesn't go anywhere. And then it does kind of go somewhere. And the first two pages of this chapter are plot and text that we we very deliberately abandon in the middle of it. And it's just like, well, we need to leave this scene to get to this other scene. But and that's we say how that we, almost verbatim. Yeah, that's how we got to this scene to begin with. Yeah. Because it says, hold up, we're going to come back to that, table uh-huh. it for a sec. Uncle Andrew. Then we go talk about Uncle Andrew. Then we change chapters and continue talking about Uncle Andrew. There we go. I table that. Yeah. We gonna come back yeah. and go back to Diggory. And I feel like as much as I like the writing here, and I think it's really amusing, 
uh like i like the elephant talking about you know noses and the tapirs like yeah i agree with that uh, that was fun and clever and the bulldog the, the very obstinate bulldog absolutely <laughs> disagrees and bulldog disagrees with this statement very hardly i think that it's very interesting like i mean if we're going to continue talking about the animal scene before i add a new thing was there anything else you wanted to add in with the animals uh no, I mean, I, I, I think I think it's funny. I think a lot of stuff doesn't happen here because Uncle Andrew isn't even conscious for most of it. Uh, I think it is worth diving into a bit and talking about why it is that this failure of communication happens both ways. Because in the last chapter, we talked about how uh, Uncle Andrew kind of blinded himself to what was going on here and just As saying, said, yeah. I'm explaining these things away. But that's not the case with the animals, yet they still can't understand him. Yes, that's the point I already made. Yeah, so why why is that? That's is... the question I already asked, so okay. go ahead and answer. No, go ahead. No. no, I have already asked this question. It's your turn to answer. Um, You're not going to mansplain my question to me, <laughs> thanks. I, I don't have a good answer for this. Um, I was just reiterating and i'm sorry for reiterating that okay well it's great and if we're doing the spiritual practice of havruta now though it's your responsibility to answer your question and the only thing that i thought of when i was thinking about it uh before we discussed this chapter was i feel like maybe the communication itself is almost some sort of magic mm. like it's not just Hey, these animals are capable of physically talking in English, and it's it's a deeper thing than that. And there's an understanding going on here that the the animals are are too different from Uncle Andrew for there to be any kind of communication between them. Interesting. And I would, I would say, also one of the animals does think that he was talking though. Yes, it was making some sort of weird sizzling sound. Uh. And it is worth noting that at no point in this book, I don't think, do we have any uh, communication between the animals and the witch either. And Uncle well, Andrew, I don't know yet, but yeah, Uncle Andrew and the witch are frequently compared to each other, and we also don't have any instance of her speaking to any of them. So, yeah. Well, I mean, she threw the yeah. the rod at the lion and ran away. So yeah. Okay. Um. Yeah, I kind of, I, I, I agree that it's not really uh, an answered question or necessarily one that needs to be answered, mm -hmm. but I do feel like it's interesting that the animals don't approach him as, hey, we're approaching you with knowledge that you are a creature, mm -hmm. but they're approaching him with the quizzical, like, are you an animal, a vegetable, or mineral at the end of the last chapter? Yeah. And then they all begin discussing and arguing amongst themselves what they think he is. Yeah. Well, and they all decide that he's a tree. So if they've decided that he's a tree, any sound that he makes is going to be interpreted as the sounds of a tree. Mm -hmm. And so part of it is their expectation, I think. Uh -huh. um, so when they're approaching, they've got this kind of quizzical, what is it? And they're trying to assess and they decide, well, it looks most like a tree. Mm -hmm. So we're going to decide it's a tree and interpret all of its actions and sounds and behaviors in light of a tree. Mm -hmm. And he fell over and looks withered, so we need to treat him like a tree and care for him. Yeah. So I think that's the big thing for me is that I took it as the expectations of the animals approaching in the same way that 
uh, Uncle Andrews expected the animals to be beasts mm-hmm. and to attack him and all of these things when they came at him. Yeah. Do you think that this whole scene is a kind of uh, jokey, uh, very lighthearted look at, you know, kind of a poke at a deeper issue of philosophy? Because you you could argue that the, this scene is kind of an allegory for uh, like this philosophical idea that reality is defined by language. And it's very important that the animals are trying to name him and call him something because that is their whole context for for their, his place in their world. I mean, from a literary theory perspective, if you want to get into like Saussure and Foucault and you want to talk about the signs and the signifiers and the way that language um, influences our understanding and things of that nature, like absolutely, I do feel like this is a kind of stab at that where... If, if we don't have, like, if we define something with specific terms that are inexact, which they're always going to be inexact because they're all just arbitrary mm-hmm. signs, when you get to this idea that the animals are trying to identify him, yeah, like, they're, like I said, their expectation falls from their identification. Mm-hmm. And so if it, yeah, they're, they're going, yeah, exactly. I feel like that's what I said. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Thanks for pointing that out. You know, the thing I said. Okay. But better. Uh, so plot-wise, though, that nothing nothing really happens here. I don't know if anything ever comes of this scene later on. Like, uh, Well, I mean, a young Uncle Andrew is going <laughs> to spring forth out of the earth and grow into a, <laughs> a full-grown Uncle Andrew. I think we'd have to, like, tear one of his arms off or something. I'm really curious because all of his money fell out of his pockets when they turned him upside down. Money trees. Mm -hmm. But unrelated to specifically to that, within this scene, we also have this discussion of noses. Yeah, and I noticed when you... (laughs) The way we do this is uh, I'm going to pull back the curtain, uh, open the kimono a little bit, if you were, and... That's a that's a phrase I'm borrowing from another podcast. Um, and we <laughs> that's weird. And uh, this is then to talk about how we do this a little bit. Uh, we have a uh, single bound version of all of the books that we use, the anthology, uh, as it were. And we only have the one copy that we use for this podcast, and usually Kristen will read it first and go through it and do her sentences and stuff, and then I'll go through it and do my sentences. So when I go through it, I always read the chapter that she just annotated and like circled <laughs> things and underlined things. And so I have I to work. Help and so I have to work really hard not to be like, oh no, I'm going to do this sentence because Kristen underlined it. Um, but I did notice in this chapter that every time the word nose is used, you circled the word nose. So talk about that a little bit. I just, it, I, appre- I appreciated the moment mm-hmm. where the elephant starts describing noses, like, and how Uncle Andrew doesn't have a nose, or uh-huh. at least not much of one. Mm-hmm. And she is beaming with pride. At her like, own nose. At her, she is just full of pride with her, her trunk, her nose. Mm-hmm. And then you have the bulldog coming over and be like, well, he's clearly an animal. Just smell him. And the elephant is like, smell, smelling isn't everything. 
Mm-hmm. And so you have this moment where there's like this thing that the elephant takes pride in, who for other animals, sole function is to smell things. Mm-hmm. And the elephant's just like, smelling isn't everything. I'm going to take so much pride in my nose, uh-huh. but smelling isn't everything. It just seemed like a moment from like, you know, it just seems like the elephant is Cyrano de Bergerac, just being like, I have this beautiful nose. It's an elegant feature, and smelling isn't everything. You know, like, I just... it. It took me to that. As a uh, as a plebeian, I don't I, I didn't catch the reference. <laughs> Cyrano de Bergerac. He, it's. Did you ever see the movie Roxanne with Steve Martin? No. It's a modern retelling of Cyrano de Bergerac, which is of course a play about a man who has a very large nose. Yeah, I did not get that reference. He's got all. a very large nose. Yeah, and he for okay so. <sighs> For those, for those unaware, Cyrano de Bergerac is a character in a, a play, and Cyrano's character has a very large nose. Um, it is very much the, uh, the butt of many jokes. And um, throughout this play, he falls in love with a woman named Roxanne. But Roxanne is not in love with him, and he believes that because of his odd face his big nose that she would never fall in love with him and so he is always playing up that he is this you know witty man he's very much got this like rebuff and wit and things like that that he can joke about anything he can entertain anyone and since people are already going to be laughing at him they might as well laugh at what he says rather than his face so he puts forward this great wit eventually befriends the man that Roxanne is falling in love with. This man is beautiful, but has no wit and no skill in writing. And so while they're away at war, Cyrano is writing love letters to Roxanne on behalf of her boyfriend. And she continues to fall in love with Cyrano's letters that she thinks are coming from her boyfriend. And then eventually her boyfriend dies in the war. And he keeps the secret for the rest of his life that he was the one writing the letters. Well, that's dark and not fun at all, but thank you for sharing. I may have Um, missed some plot elements. I didn't refresh my memory, and I haven't read it uh, in 15 years, but... I feel like I've been educated. What was that other book that you had read with the focus on noses? Yes, The Life and Opinions of Tristram (laughs) Shandy Gentleman. Uh Also a book that I wanted to bring up. So we had this moment with noses, and I just, every time that I see noses referenced in this kind of emphatic way, mm-hmm. where you've got an element elephant being like, oh yeah, noses, let's just take pride in them, and others being like, well, smell him, he's clearly an animal, and she's like, oh, smelling isn't everything. I then have to go back to The Life and Opinions of Tristram, Shandy, Gentleman, which is a book written by uh, someone I can't remember. Um... But in the, uh, it's going to bother me now. Anyway, so in this book, the main character, Tristram Shandy, is writing a book 
of his own life and opinions. So it's very meta. Yeah, that meta fiction that we yeah. reference constantly. Yes, it's very meta and is very much this this man who's trying to start with the very beginning of his life with his conception, mm-hmm. not with his birth because conception affects the the type of life that a man lives apparently, mm-hmm. at least in this time frame. And so Tristram Shandy is telling the story of his own life and and each chapter he's trying to like get closer to current life but he's writing slower than he's living basically and so he's trying to get to all of these life and opinions so he he barely he pretty much barely gets past his own birth in the story of his life and is constantly being distracted by the chapters he wants to write about his opinions but mm-hmm. he keeps saying that he's going to get back to his chapter on noses for like the first half of the book he he's like i've got this chapter on noses i'm going to write I'm going to get back to it eventually. Uh-huh. But in in the course of his own birth, the doctor used forceps to help remove the child from the, you know, birthing process. And I don't I don't baby well. Um and Kristen, so, a human. <laughs> and in the process of birthing the child, the forceps crushed Tristram's nose. So he grows up with a very small nose, and it is constantly in the same way that Cyrano uses it as a joke and an innuendo. It's constantly used as an innuendo to reference that he might not be particularly virile. Mm-hmm. And so um, Tristram Shandy has got this crushed nose his whole life. Mm-hmm. And so he keeps talking about wanting to get to his chapter on noses because he's got this like argument. Uh, against the significance of virility based on nose size and shape. Um, and so then we, yeah, it's just, I'm going to have to cut all of this out. Like all of the nose content just it's we fan- It's fantastic. <laughs> this, is a, this is a classic. We are two pages into the chapter. <laughs> we are, this is a classic chronically podcast rant about meaningless things. It's great. This is why people listen. But okay. so like the one <laughs> animal that uses its nose for anything other than smelling is the one taking pride in its nose being yeah. like, yeah, this is a nose. Uh-huh. And then being like, yeah, well, smelling isn't everything because she's just like, yeah, clearly my nose can do more than your nose can. I feel like in the in the stage adaptation of this book, you would be playing the elephant. You would you are that's born why this I, role. That's why I chose her as my as my character when I introduced myself. Which I would fully support only to hear your elephant impersonations no, on stage. No. No, we did that in the last one. No. Okay. I am a sagacious elephant. Yes. So anyway, now we get to actual plot. So <laughs> so we've now flashed from, uh, oh, uh, what we didn't actually say, but all of the animals planted Uncle Andrew because they decided that he was a tree. Obviously and a tree. the elephant brought over gallons and gallons of water to water him because he looked a little withered. And he comes to and still doesn't say anything. And you know. But they buried him up to his knees. Yep. All right. Next. Uh, and now we jump to actual plot where we have Strawberry bringing Diggory to wherever this council meeting is being held. And Diggory, by virtue of his presence, interrupt this, interrupts this meeting and Aslan gives him a talking to. I really appreciate the fact that Aunt, uh, as they walk up, Diggory is like, oh, I don't want to interrupt. I know I shouldn't interrupt. And Aslan's just like, well, here's the boy now. Yeah. (sighs) 
and, and basically introduces him to this entire council of animals as the reason that evil has come to Narnia. Mm-hmm. How would you like to meet this council of newly appointed leaders of Narnia? Yeah. As the person who destroyed the peace of Narnia. Mm-hmm. And, uh... Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of lot to talk about here. Uh, so, lot... just just curious, how would you like that? <laughs> uh, would not very much not like that because uh, you know it is it would be kind of scary, uh, especially if you're you know nine ten years old whatever that degree is here. Um, but this is this is a fun bit of tension because Aslan, you know, basically starts an interrogation here, and it's just like. Hey, so what gives, bro? Why'd you bring the witch here? Because Aslan is very much bringing this down on Diggory, which I wanted to take a minute and say, well, I mean, we can say all sorts of things about Aslan's power and things he knows, but in the context of this scene, why does Aslan know immediately that Diggory is the one at fault? That is the question that we have to ask because Aslan is there as the one creating this world, Mm -hmm. which means that he is clearly not from this world because he's creating it. Yes. So here's the the questions that I have. This was my major thought-provoking question. Mm -hmm. In this conversation, Diggory tells Aslan, okay, well... Hang on. Um, I don't know. Because, like, Aslan's clearly creating mm-hmm. Narnia, which means that he's not from here. Yes. So we have we have a couple of different possibilities, which then when we get to the moment where he tells the cabbie, I've known you. Mm-hmm. Do you know who I am? Yeah. That's, like, that's the only moment where we can maybe be like, okay, so Aslan's, like, God... Yeah. And so he oversees all of these worlds and he would have known what happened in Charm. Yes. It's possible. Um, but we also have this moment where we've talked about these enchantments. And Diggory confesses that he was not enchanted when he rang the bell. He just wanted to ring it. Plot revelations right there. I know. I was like, no enchantment on the <laughs> bell? Question mark, question mark, big question mark. Yeah. Um, <laughs> in you. my notes. Thank you for sharing the size of your question marks. Well, you know. <laughs> I didn't share the size of the first two. You just assumed. <laughs> I was assuming average size question marks. Um, but yeah, um, Aslan immediately knows that degrees at fault here and gives him the third degree and we can, we can talk all day about, you know, what, to what extent Aslan's knowledge of this incident goes and how much of this is Aslan honestly just being like, Hey, what happened? Tell me the story. Why? I want to know more about this. And how much is Aslan just being like, no, you, you go and tell me your side of it because I already know exactly what happened. How about you be honest with me and. Well, and I, I think it's pretty clear that Aslan knows because of the moment when he does challenge Diggory mm-hmm. to be like, you met her? Because mm-hmm. he says, we met the queen in Charn, and, and Aslan says, you met her? Uh-huh. Italics on met. And then it describes his question as being the nearest to a growl mm-hmm. that Diggory had heard from him. 
Yeah. And so I think that that makes it very clear that Aslan is challenging him to be more forthcoming with the truth because he knows the truth already. Mm-hmm. So yeah, no, I, I don't have any question about the fact that Aslan knows exactly what happened and is just asking Diggory to be truthful about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and to his credit, Diggory is truthful. Yeah. He is honest and doesn't try to lie here, which, you know, probably smart of him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but he even goes so far as to say that he fought Polly and that that was absolutely just because he wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the chapter, Aslan asks Polly outright if she's forgiven him for the violence done to her. And she says, yeah, we've made up. Mm-hmm. Which I think, you know, is an important, you know, story element because... Aslan does want to know the state of their relationship with each other as friends. He also tells Polly that she's always welcome there. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, I find interesting given that in the last chapter I was complaining about how Polly ended up being like the delivery method of so many different people traveling between the worlds where she was the one that got grabbed by the queen and she was the one that got grabbed by Uncle Andrew. Yeah. That she was still very much a part of this as much as she didn't want to be. Mm -hmm. And she's not held at fault. Yeah. Because it was Diggory who awoke the queen. Mm -hmm. And that that's the fault that we, we find. Yeah. So it is, it is all Diggory's fault. Uh, Aslan refers to Diggory as something I think is interesting here and calls him son of Adam. Yes. Uh, which if you've read the line, the witch in the wardrobe, you know, is what is, used to refer to all of the children. They are daughters of Eve and sons of Adam. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, I, and when I read it, I I read this as being kind of very accusatory mm. because, you know, if we're going with the uh, with the Christian mythos here, because you, I, I know crazy thought, but these books might have some sort of allegory to Christianity. Um, somewhere. It's somewhere in there. You know, uh, but so does, like, <laughs> Star Wars. Uh-huh. So if we're going along those roads, uh, I think Aslan saying you're the son of Adam is very much a almost derogatory mark remark. Uh, you say that, but he also says, and he says this to the council, mm-hmm. and as Adam's race has done the harm, Adam's race shall help to heal it. Yes. And so he's holding them responsible as a as a people, but also like... This is that, you know, if you talk about the Genesis creation mythos, you have the moment where Eve is is held at fault for the uh, sin, the for the mm-hmm. fall. Yes, the fall. That's what it's called. Mm-hmm. Eve is held at fault for the fall and saying that she took that, took the fruit, but it is through her seed, you know, that that the serpent's head will be crushed. So looking forward to Jesus. So even in the moment of the fall, like the promise of future salvation through these same people Mm -hmm. is going to come. And so I feel like it's interesting that like Diggory as a person, as a human being is representing kind of like an element of the creation that is going to both cause problems and then eventually bring healing. Yeah. Uh, so before we jump into the the thing that happens with the cabbie, 
which is kind of the crux of this chapter. Uh, so again, bad chapter titles, because because like because <laughs> you think that the main plot process that like the main thing that actually moves plot forward in this chapter that happens happens with the Cappy. Yes, and has nothing to do with Diggory or his uncle. Correct. Well, absolutely, Uncle Andrew does nothing for the plot in this entire chapter. Um, Diggory, yes. You say that, but he got planted in Narnia, <laughs> and you don't know what that could mean. That's why in the Chronicles of Narnia, they, they don't use the word trees, and they're all called Andrews. <laughs> yes. He walked into the Andrews. And, anyway. <laughs> um, so before we move on to that, I want to talk a bit about, uh, kind of where Diggory comes in in this chapter. And he enters in and sees this figure of Aslan and is immediately asking him for something. Yes. And just comes in and is like, it, it's not necessarily a selfish thing. Maybe it is. We can debate that because Diggory is asking for something that's going to help his mom. But that is that is Diggory's thing. He's going to be like, sorry, I interrupted. Hey, can you give me something to help my mom? Doesn't ask any questions. Doesn't say anything about that. Just like, hey, need this fruit that's going to keep my mom from dying. And Aslan, in a very cold-hearted way, uh, just completely ignores this question. It's like, I'm not even going to dignify that with a response. Hey, this is the kid who screwed everything up. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> um, which I think is interesting because it, it paints Aslan in a, in a very protective way, in a very, like, in a little regal kind of sense and not really a compassionate uh, sort of light. Yeah, and and di when he appro when Diggory approaches Aslan, uh huh. I want to find this specifically. You took my bookmark out. When Diggory approaches, it says, "All right." And as Diggory approaches, it says, "And Aslan was bigger and more beautiful and more brightly golden and more terrible than he had thought." He dared not look into the great eyes. So I, I'd like that word terrible was the one that stood out to me as like, yeah. Like Aslan is great and beautiful and terrible. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know. I, I think that that was a, an inclusion that stood out to me. Yeah. Yeah, I feel that way. And uh, Diggory gets shot down and then gets accused and... We don't know what happens to Degree in this chapter. We gotta wait till the next chapter to find out. Uh, but basically, we we move on from his uh, revelation of his wrongdoing to Aslan saying, "Hey, but this isn't a problem yet. We got hundreds of years before this is actually a, an issue, so we need to take care of more pressing matters." Mm -hmm. And since the children of Adam have screwed this up, they're going to help and. Then I feel like it takes a hard left turn uh, because the, the way that the people are going to help is, is not immediately apparent. And then we have this whole scene with uh, the cabbie. Yes, and Aslan then turns to the cabbie and starts talking to him. Tells the cabbie. Do you know me? Do you know me? Mm -hmm. I know you. I've known you for some time. This is a, Do this, you know me? This is a powerful, powerful passage here. Mm -hmm. Uh and, and if we haven't really, like, hammered in the the point that Aslan is a god figure here, this is where we're, like, really doing it and really driving that home. Yeah. Um, and 
I, I, I think the cabbie, it's, it's weird that so far the cabbie is like this very honest dude who like always speaks his mind and says exactly what is, you know, what's hard on his sleeve kind of guy. And yet here he's being kind of coy. And Aslan's just like, do you know me? And he's like, maybe, I think, maybe. Maybe I'm a little familiar. I'm not going to come out and say that I think you're God, but I, I don't know. I think, maybe we've well, met before. I mean, he says, do you know me? And, his, and the cabbie's first response is, well, no, sir. Uh-huh. <laughs> Leastways, not in an ordinary manner of speaking. Yeah. Yet I feel somehow, if I may make so free, as how we've met before. Mm-hmm. Like, he's just being like, can can you explain how yeah. we've met before? Yeah. And then Aslan's just like, I think you do. Yeah, you know better than come, you think you know. You're going to come to know me better yet. Mm-hmm. Um, Which I, I really like that line also. And, uh... And know me better, man. And Aslan's like, do you like it here? And and Cabby's like, yeah, but yeah. I'm married. Um, can't stay, which would like to point out that, you know, if this situation ever arose, I would that would be my response as well. Sure. Cool. <laughs> I know it wouldn't be yours, but I'm reassuring you. <laughs> um, and then we have this really fun scene. And I... I I am bothered by how little Polly has been in the past few chapters. Like, she is at best a set piece here. Mm -hmm. And, like, doesn't really have any dialogue. Or, like, occasionally we just reference her being there and things that she observes. Yeah. But she doesn't really do anything. And Mm -hmm. I feel like she's become not a character. Again. (laughs) Again. She's back to that role. Yeah. That Um, old gem of a role. Yep. Uh, But anyway, we have this moment where, you know... Aslan just summons the cabbie's wife from across, you know, multiple planes of reality and roars and she's just there. Yes. And if you have read the other books in the series, Mm -hmm. this is how all of the other people like this is on on in the occasion in which Lucy comes to Narnia and the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. She's coming through the wardrobe. Mm-hmm. And it is like a limited time access doorway uh-huh. where she can get in and then can't get in again in the future. Like there are times when it's open and times when it's not. Yeah. Then you have in um, Voyage of the Dawn Treader or in um, Voyage of the Dawn Treader, there's a picture frame that they basically fall into the picture frame. But in... Uh, in the silver chair and in the other one that I can't think of, Prince Caspian. Mm-hmm. In both of those books, they the ki- the children are essentially called to Narnia and just they basically huh? And they're in Narnia. Mm-hmm. Which is how the cabbie's wife appears in Narnia. Yeah. And it's and it's so it's very much explaining that call. And again, it's answering questions that no one is asking because you haven't read the books yet because the series <laughs> is in the wrong order. Uh-huh. So this is answering how in two other books that you should have already read, how the call came to find people and summon them to Narnia and how they got there just with a snap. Yeah. Um so that that is a thing. I anyway, I would like to bring up here how she's brought into this like very effortlessly and she just kind of shows up. 
she doesn't really get a choice in the matter, which I want to get to in a minute. I want to take a little hot take aside and talk about how you know she doesn't decide to come to Darnia ever. But we demonstrate Aslan's power in he just roars and it calls her and she is there. Well, okay, you say and, that, but then when we describe Polly's perspective on it, mm-hmm. it says this, and I underlined this sentence. She, Polly, felt sure that it was a call and that anyone who heard the call would want to obey it and what what's more would be able to obey it however many worlds and ages lay between. Mm-hmm. So I feel like from Polly's perspective, Aslan is calling out to her and saying, you may enter, mm-hmm. do this and enter. Yeah. And, the, and then she responds. The cabbie's wife responds to the call. Except then she doesn't even know where she is. But she thinks she's dreaming. <laughs> yeah. Like, if you literally were standing in the kitchen doing the dishes and turned and you were like, oh, what is that? And then you turned... Mm-hmm. And you were just in this wood surrounded by animals in your hut, and and I'm there. Yeah. And two children are there. You're going to be like, is this a dream? Yeah. Which, Did I just which, pass out in the middle of the kitchen? Which I would say means that she didn't really have a choice here because she didn't know what she was walking into. Like, she immediately thinks she's dreaming. So there is no information conveyed about where she was going or why. And and, fair enough. <laughs> And so did she really have a choice to be like, yeah, want to go to this place? Anyway, we'll get back to that. But I wanted to say this is the kind of power that Aslan possesses over this realm. And I I feel like even though we would not have plot to talk about in later books, he could have very easily at any point just been like, no, I'm going to banish the witch and Mm. send her somewhere else. He doesn't. Yeah, and I think... (laughs) That is a, a like an example of like that's other than the actual creation. This is another example of Aslan having more power than the queen, mm-hmm. because she very much says that like the magic here is stronger, mm-hmm. and he is an example. Like he is showing like she couldn't even get out of Charn. Yeah, and Uncle Andrew was able to do that. Like yeah. he he was able to do that. Mm-hmm. And then you have just, like, I think it's just such powerful examples of different kinds of powerful magic, you know? So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, but I do I do feel like there's a certain amount of, like, could you have just popped her out mm-hmm. right now Yeah. when she threw the lamppost at you, when they arrived, before you started singing, all of these things? Mm-hmm. May I bring up my challenging point? Sure. All right. So at the end of this chapter, mm-hmm. I had to sit there for a minute and think about the chapter. And something popped out at me in a, uh, yes. Diggory tells the council and Aslan that he thought they were taking the queen back to her own world. Mm-hmm. Was he right? Had Strawberry wandered into the pool for Charn, but Charn was a dying world, and the only reason that Charn was still being maintained as a world was because there was an enchanted woman still sleeping there. Mm -hmm. And was it that as soon as they removed her from Charn, Charn no longer had any life on it, 
and could be recycled as a pool into a new world, at which point Aslan began creating Narnia. And it is the same pool. Does the queen have a right to be there? Because it was her home before Narnia started. <clears throat> and so can Aslan a... rightfully remove her when her world has been removed to make room for Narnia? That's a, that's a head scratcher there. Um, I had not considered that. I obviously have not read the rest of the series aside from the Chronicles of Narnia and I feel like we don't make any references there that could support this claim. I don't know if there's any on other books that more clearly lay this out. No idea. Um, but that's a that is a thought. So for sure. I mean realistically, if if I if I'm right and that they are in the correct pool but the wrong world, mm -hmm. where would Aslan send her? Okay, yeah. Not, you know, not saying that this is a perfect solution to your question. Uh-huh. Because if he's powerful enough to create all these worlds, he could do something with the witch. But I, I do think that it's an interesting challenge uh -huh. to say that there was this world there that was dying, uh -huh. and they took the last living person out of it. Uh -huh. Did it die? Was it only being held alive for her sake? Because she was still alive. And at, at that point, hmm. is, she, is she permitted in Narnia because she has no home anymore? Because her home was destroyed, essentially, to make way for Narnia. Or are they just in the wrong pool altogether and the charm pool is still over there, sitting there on a dying world? No idea. But these are the thoughts that I hit at the end of the chapter and was just like, What? I mean that is a that is a thing. That's I I don't, I don't know if we can discuss a lot of that because there's no supporting evidence either way. That's mm -hmm. just empty conjecture. Uh, but I do like that thought. It's me it's too. It's very fun. It's a it's a very convenient plot explanation for why uh, she has nowhere else to be. I guess. Mm -hmm. um, so let's move on to the climax of this chapter. At least I feel like it is of. What happens with the cabbie and his wife? Absolutely, the cabbie and his wife. So we then have Aslan basically say, y'all are going to be the first king and queen of Narnia. Which doesn't seem like a punishment. Does not seem like <laughs> a punishment, is not being conveyed as a punishment. Uh huh. Also, we still don't know the cabbie's name. Um, <laughs> do we, we do learn his wife's name in this chapter, but we still don't know the cabbie's name. Uh, do I'm I, I cannot recall, but do we ever learn the cabbie's name at some point, or is I, this I just mean, a... at this point we still haven't learned it. Uh huh. All right. Uh, but they are crowned king and queen. No, uh, they're not crowned. They're declared king they and queen. Well, the coronation. Their coronation is to be to held shortly. Um, but yeah, this doesn't seem like a punishment, and uh, we have this thing where Aslan's like, yeah, the sons of Adam have screwed this up. They're gonna help fix it. And the way that we're going to do that is that this random cab driver and his wife are going to rule over all of you. Which, which I feel like is a, is a hard sell, would be a hard sell to the animals in this situation, I think. Um, I disagree. I mean, like, he's he at this point, Aslan is God, and they're going to follow whatever he says. So, but the, I mean, I feel like 
C.S. Lewis has gone out of his way to declare the cabbie a good, kind-hearted, respectful of Aslan man. Uh-huh. As the children see Aslan, only so does the cabbie. We don't have the queen or Uncle Andrew seeing him as anything but a beast. Uh-huh. And so you then have, like, well, I mean, of the choices, the cabbie's the only choice of these humans. But Aslan is very much like, yeah, no, you're you're someone that I would. You know me. I know you. You're going to be the king. So here's a question. Was this a part of the plan? Or was this a pivot? Because I feel like this is a weird pivot moment for Aslan to be like, yep, going to make this world full of all these smart, intelligent, talking animals, and it's going to be this perfect society, and I'm not even going to bring people into it. People aren't going to be a thing. And then people just happen to randomly show up, and then randomly shown up human as crowned ruler over all the animals. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> this is not something that I was just like, I'm, I'm not going to dig around on that one. Like, uh-huh. it's, it is what it is. I, I feel like it's a weird. I feel like it's, you know, I just. Mm-hmm. Or was this part of Aslan's grand plan and these, they were all supposed to be there I for mean... whatever reason? Everybody's got to have a creation story. I don't know what, I, like, I don't know what else to say. Like, yeah, I just, I just thought, thought it was weird. It was a weird bit of writing, I yeah. guess. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. It is very odd. Mm-hmm. There's also, like, it just, I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me, mm-hmm. realistically, storytelling wise, but, like, I don't know. It's just weird. That's all. Because I feel like when. Oh, when it's weird because I feel like when we get into the other books, like people, humans are not like a thing in Narnia proper, but across the seas from Narnia proper, Mm -hmm. there are people. And so it's almost like we have in the future encountered that there are other humans around. Mm Mm-hmm. And so he has to explain why there's other humans. Again, answering questions that we didn't have Uh um, because we didn't read the chapters of the other books. Um, We didn't read the other books. But, like, this is is very much just trying to explain why there are humans in Narnia in one of the other books. Mm -hmm. Or two of the other books. Yeah, apparently. Uh, The horse and his boys very much got... I would not know. Um, we'll get there eventually. A Narnian human. Yeah. As a main character. We'll get there eventually. And and then, so then, last bit of this chapter, Aslan is asking the cabbie all these questions. Uh, interviewing know, him, interviewing essentially, him for, for a job, job that he's already <laughs> given him. Yeah. Hey, it, he's it, convincing the cabbie to accept the position that he has already yeah. decided the cabbie is good well, for. Well, it's a very ceremonious thing because it's almost like a, a wedding vows type situation. It's like, or coronation vows, yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, will you, will you vow this? Will you vow this? Will you vow this? And cabbie's just like, yeah, guess so. Um, <laughs> didn't, didn't expect this when I woke up this morning. Yeah. Uh, 
Because think about, let's take a moment to think about the day the cabbie has had. <laughs> because since the last time he has gone to sleep, he was a taxi cab driver in London, and then, you know, got his cab stolen by a seven-foot-tall madwoman and watched a fight go down, and then got transported into the web between worlds, then got pulled through a pool into a blank slate of nothingness, which became a planet full of a bunch of talking animals. Including his own horse. Including his own horse, Strawberry, and now he is the king of the planet he just went to in the span of... Seven hours. Seven hours. <laughs> yep. That is a heck of a day. <laughs> yep. Especially, especially when you talk about, like... How much of this he just like dismisses? Uh-huh. Where he's just like, "Oh, I want to listen to the music." Mm-hmm. Like, "Oh, maybe we fell through a hole into the subway." Uh huh. Like he's just dismissing all of this with some logical attempts and some just like, "Let's just sing a a, a hymn," because maybe we're dead. Yeah. Like, and he has accepted that maybe he's dead. Mm-hmm. And then saw the lion was just like like could you shoot him like sass and uncle andrew and stuff he still has no idea who or what the witch is other than the woman who stole his horse yeah like and i and and he's also been challenged upright by strawberry who is he's like strawberry it's me don't you know me and strawberry's like yeah you did terrible things to me and he's like no i didn't i got you oats oh yeah you did get me oats and sugar cubes and sugar cubes do you have any of those now <laughs> like he's very much being brought face to face with the parts of his life that might not be as upfront and and great as he wants to see them where you know mm-hmm. he's been presented as this character who is so kind-hearted and good yeah. And then he gets challenged by the things that might not be good about him, like how Strawberry was treated all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, he, for the most part, treated Strawberry well, but Strawberry didn't necessarily always take it that way. Uh-huh. And so, you know, he's like, no, this my intentions were good always. And Strawberry's like, yeah, maybe. Um, got any more of those sugar cubes? <laughs> okay, okay, fine. Yeah. So, um, so before we start wrapping up here i would like to jump in and just come back to the point that nelly cabby's wife who does get a name here does not get a does she get a line of dialogue because i don't think she actually says anything she doesn't say anything does not get a say in any of this she has been brought to this weird planet that she's never seen before and is named the queen of this world and at no point agrees to it or says anything one way or another and, and, you know, there's there's a vague half-hearted mention where the cabbie's just like, yeah, we'll do a great job of that, won't we, Nellie? And she doesn't get a, a, yep. an answer. And she is just here for the ride. Yep. <laughs> Any, anything you want to see about her being an unwilling queen? Nope, 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 nope. I've got nothing. Nope. Okay. <sighs> nothing to say well, on that. <laughs> nothing to say. Okay. Well, I tried. <laughs> nope. <laughs> nope, nope, nope. Okay, well, we'll get to that another time, possibly in our uh, big book wrap-up that's coming very soon. Um, But before we uh, end and talk about our final thoughts in the chapter, we have this last segment we do where we take... Stop. uh, We have this last segment we do. Hashtag Narnia chopped and screwed. What do we do in that? 
and we go back to the chapter and pick out five sentences with which we use to tell a completely new and different story. Uh, I struggled so hard with this one. So I think you should start. I, because I had a couple of different stories I wanted to tell, and I usually go into this with a thing that I want to, to, to do, and I had a couple of those, and I just could not find the sentences that made any kind of sense for it. <laughs> and, and so I worked really hard. But there was a specific line out of the chapter that I had to be in this story. Let's see if you can find out which one it was. I'm sure I know which one it was. <laughs> I think that's your notebook, though. Nope, this is my notebook. Right here. Oh, okay. Yep. <laughs> What's that one? Not my notebook. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's odd. <laughs> All right. Confused. This is my rewrite. Do you know me? No, said Diggory. I was only pretending. You know me better than you think you know, and you shall know me better yet. I object to that remark very strongly, said the bulldog. So which one did you want to include so badly? The bulldog line. I saw that because it, it he says it like three times, and I'm just like, that has to be a part of the story. Um, and I, I wanted to go a bunch of different directions with it. I was trying, like I said earlier, I was trying really hard to write a story about how Diggory and Polly get named King and Queen, but couldn't get there because Polly has zero dialogue yep. uh, in this chapter. Uh I was also trying really hard to do some sort of parliamentary debate between the animals where the, the bulldog is just this, on one side, very angry uh, objector <laughs> to this motion that they're trying to pass, but I couldn't get there either. And so I, I landed on this uh, this conversation that does not happen between Aslan and Diggory and rewriting the way that they meet. Mm, yeah. And for some reason, the bulldog does not like it. <laughs> well, I mean, from a from a dialogue perspective, you don't identify the initial speaker. You could have just had to be a conversation between Diggory and the bulldog. And the bulldog's just like, nope. <laughs> don't want to know you. <laughs> Do you know me? Ah, no, I object to that. <laughs> All right. My turn? Yeah. This is my rewrite. Well, you see, sir... I'm a married man, said the cabbie. I object to that remark very strongly, <laughs> said the bulldog. I see that, sir, replied the cabbie. Why, said the bulldog, if a fellow can't trust his nose, what is he to trust? Well, sir, said the cabbie very slowly, a chap doesn't exactly know till he has been tried. idea here oh it's just this great gay romance between the bulldog and the cabbie and the... i feel like this is a story that i would write uh, i know chapters. i was expecting well something similar from you i was uh, like well this is the only thing i can come up with right now i guess all right see you struggled too here yes i did and it was a hard chapter to but i still got of. a good laugh out of you you did. It was great. Um, Let's see if our audience can come up with a better one. What? <laughs> at us. <laughs> what I laughed... hashtag Narnia chopped and screwed. What I laughed at so much at first was that when I was reading it and trying to come up with my first sentence of my new story, 
the cabbie saying he was a married man jumped out at me and was like, I want to start with this, <laughs> but I don't know if I can go anywhere with it. Yeah, but, I object to that remark very strongly, said the bulldog. <laughs> I am, when you said that, I laughed. Uh, our loyal listeners might have to correct us, but I believe that in our rewrites, this is the first time we've ever picked a sentence in common. It, it might... It's not. It's not? No. Okay. In our rewrites, I yeah. don't think it is. All right. Well, we had we had similar kind of ideas, and we just approached it. You did, did it much better than I did. Uh, so before we close out here, um, let's do this thing that I love to do, and Kristen goes along with because she appreciates my presence. Woo! And <laughs> you can hear the appreciation. And we're just going to take the chapter as a whole and rate it and say how well it did what it set out to do and we do use a different rating system every time um because the rating is arbitrary and the points don't matter and the points don't matter that's what i was gonna say um so this chapter let's do it out of gosh i don't know um what's a what's a good a good solid image from this chapter uh trees Nah, uh, we did trees before. Knee-high planted Uncle Andrews. <laughs> trunks of water. Tr- trunks of water, there it is. You always, this is my segment, but you always come up with the 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 point system that we're going to use. So out of trunks of water. Um, I feel like this chapter suffers the same flaws as the last one did because we're continuing the same pointless story. And again, I appreciate it for how well it's contributing to the world. And I like the jokes about the noses and like the table. Well, we also have the third joke. The third according, joke we happens. didn't touch on the jacket dog. I mean, like, and third joke, third joke, third joke. And I, I really, I know it doesn't happen, but I really want the jackdaw to be like a recurring character in the entire series. And like somewhere in book five, he just shows up and is like three hundred and seventy thousandth joke. <laughs> <sighs> and, and and that's a thing because he he's immortal, but. Anyway, uh, I think a, a lot of good stuff happens with Aslan, and we get to see a lot of uh, character revelation about Aslan. I wouldn't say development, but we, we see more of who he is. Uh, Diggory kind of grows up a little bit. It's great. Polly, not a character still. Yep. That's kind of a, that's kind of problematic, I guess. Um, but Cabby gets his, you know just reward for having have like being the best character in this book series <laughs> um so ov- overall it was good uh but that beginning scene kind of tears it down a little bit for me so i'm gonna say uh 3.75 chunks of trunks chunks chunks trunks. of water chunks of water trunks of water now you mean like molecules or <laughs> ice cubes those chunks of water <laughs> I got some really hard chunks of water in my soda earlier. It was it's weird, a little odd. Um, so within that, if it's my turn and yes, if I is. may speak, am yeah. I recognized by yeah. the yeah. by the named male characters? Ooh. Um, <laughs> I am going to say that, like, as far as like this chapter goes, it has three distinct parts. And it has the Uncle Andrew element, which has reverted back to that, oh, yeah, I'm writing a children's book and we need some slapstick comedy element. Uh-huh. So we've kind of, like, gone, oh, wait, 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 where were we? Oh, yeah, children's book. And Uncle Andrew's a tree. Uncle Andrew's yeah. a tree, and he very nearly got buried with his head in the ground and oh. died. 
hilarious, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) We helped him not be dead. (laughs) Um, And so, like, within that, it's like, you know, an arguing D&D party. But then you have, like, this moment of confession from Diggory, which I feel like is revelatory in many aspects. And you didn't talk about Diggory's development as a character, which I was surprised. Because you have the moment where Diggory comes forward and says, yeah, no, I definitely wasn't under an enchantment. I just wanted to ring the bell. Mm -hmm. And he's confessing that in a way that he hasn't done to this point. He's very much held held his ground that he was enchanted. Mm -hmm. Whether he said it himself or just allowed other people to say it, he was just like, yeah, no, that's that was me. I wanted to do that, and I did it. Mm-hmm. And I hurt Polly in order to do it. I feel like that is one of the most real moments in this book of like a character having a a, um, a challenge yeah. that they had to overcome that like couldn't possibly have gone good for the character. Yeah, and um, I respect it for that. Um, so, and then the final element of this is just like a way, what? We're doing what? And the where with the why and who? Uh-huh. Hi, Nellie. <laughs> um, so yeah, like all in all, I give it three slices of pie, but like, I really don't know which one was the best slice. I mean, well, like clearly I think the Diggory slice was the best. Just so, yeah. And it ends on a cliffhanger. It does. And and now for the boy, uh, which we'll find out next week in chapter 12. Or will we? Because next week, chapter 12, is called Strawberry's Adventure. Which, based on our chapter naming convention, is going to be entirely about Diggory. Um, <laughs> and maybe Strawberry finds sugar cubes. Maybe that's a thing Ooh, that will happen. That would be great. I hope so. <laughs> okay. Thank you for joining us. Uh, if you would like to get at us at uh, on the social medias, you can tweet at us at ChronicallyPod on Twitter. You can follow us ChronicallyPodcast on Facebook and Instagram, or you can send us an email with you know your fan art of Uncle Andrew being various trees uh, at ChronicallyPodcast at gmail.com. and we will see you next week. See ya. You heard it here, folks. Chris, uh... You heard it... (laughs) God. Uh... Pause. (laughs) I have no idea what I'm going to talk about now. Alright. Um... Would would like to bring up here how... Sorry, you are distracting me so much with that. (laughs) Sorry, I'll put the laser pointer away. (laughs) Go ahead. My nose can do more than your nose can. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another thrilling episode of Chronically Coling Narnia. Let me redo that. I said coling. <laughs>